The Ryan Tuberty Show on RTE Radio 1 with Elevon Merchant Services. Growing your business is easy peasy with us by your side. Uh, I might have mentioned to you uh, some time ago on a trip to Connemara that I had the chance to see a, a glimpse of a, a remarkable restoration project in Letterfrack. And this was restoring the cabin of Ernest Shackleton, what was referred to as his sea bedroom. And uh, this was where he took his final breath on his final voyage in 1922. So that cabin has quite a story. We're going to get into it now with uh, no one better to talk to about this such a thing. The granddaughter of Ernest Shackleton, Alexandra Shackleton, who's uh, joining us in studio this morning. What a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming in. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. What is it like having that as a second name when you talk to somebody who knows their thing, knows their history? Well, it's always nice to talk to someone who knows the history. Occasionally, I encounter somebody who asks for cosy stories about my grandfather. And I think I'm not that old because he died in 1922. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the name is, is unusual. Mm. And um, I was at the Shackleton Museum in Athai in Kildare last summer. Yes. It's a beautiful statue outside, great exhibition. They're going to treat it even more perfectly in the due course. But... When you see a statue, for example, of your grandfather like that and you see, let's dwell on the Irish heritage for a moment, um, is that special to you? It's very, very special. And there's a wonderful statue which I helped unveil. And I've been coming to the Ernest Shackleton Autumn School for the past, I think, 22 years. How does it feel to have to carry the legacy of your grandfather with you and to tell stories about him? Is that the source of great pride or do you find it sometimes a burden? I, f I find it a privilege, really, and I'm very lucky that, obviously, the more... I, when I talk formally lectures, I do them by heart, with no notes and with jokes. OK. <laughs> and I prefer talking to adults, so I do talk to children, because I can't tell children my best joke. I, they, I'm sure they'd understand it, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> what is your best joke? I'm not going to tell you. I I've only just met you. <laughs> OK. It's like that, is it? OK, let's talk about... Can we talk about the cabin for a moment? Yes. Because it's it's central to a documentary I want to discuss in due course, but it was on board uh, the Quest. Yes. And it ended up in Norway. If you could give us as much as you know about the provenance of it and uh, what this cabin is. Well, the cabin is my, my, for my grandfather's last ship, Quest which, as you said, he died 100 years ago this year. And I last saw it when it was on its own, an open-air museum in Norway. After lots of tribulations, it came here to a very good place. It'll be at the, uh, the Ernest Shackleton Museum, which will be the first dedicated museum in the world. OK, so how did the cabin end up in Norway and find its way back in Ireland. It's a long, complicated story, and I don't know all of it myself, I'm afraid. OK. But uh, as, as you know, Ernest was very young when he died. He was only 47. And um, the last entry in his diary, when they just got to South Georgia, he said, in the glimmering twilight, a lone star hovers gem-like above the bay. A few minutes later, he was dead. People see that diary in exhibitions, they find it quite emotional. Well, it would be because, of course, um, as you say, he shortly was to die, I think, of a heart attack. Yes, yeah. very uh, very shortly, yeah. Uh, and, and I suppose returning to the cabin, that's where he, he would have written that bit of the diary. Absolutely. Uh, that's where he would have unfortunately passed yes, away. Yes, yes. Um, 
and you made yourself, you found yourself in the cabin as restored in yes. letter frack. Was that a, a special moment for you? It was a very special because when I visited Norway, it was really just a shell of a cabin, and they've done it so well. The, the conservator, fantastically impressive. And I came over a few months ago to do the film, and they, I think a drone took part in the interview. I wouldn't say the drone was actually interviewing me, but <laughs> yeah. So uh, to, to let people know that the man who owned the ship at the time transported this cabin from the ship to a farm in Norway. And that man's grandson played in the cabin as a child. It was like a shed in the back garden, if you like. And eventually a corkman called Eugene Furlong went to Norway, heard about the, the cabin, tracked down this grandson uh, who eventually has loaned it to museums and so on and agreed to donate the cabin to Ireland where it has been restored by Sven Haberman, who features strongly in this documentary. Uh, that you feature in also, Alexandra. And now it finds its way, in a strange way, back uh, home to Ireland in some regards. What better place? Um, When you went to the cabin and you sat there, you would have seen that they talked about this lovely moment with the banjo and a crew member called Hussey. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Well, the, the banjo, the story of the banjo, when the ship was was obviously going to sink and, and stay sunk, as it were. Yes. My grandfather told everyone they could bring just two pounds of weight because so much you carry on the sledges and eventually in the little boats themselves. Hussey thought that he would have to leave the banjo behind because it weighed much more than two pounds. But my grandfather said, no, we'll keep it, this vital mental medicine. And so it proved, though I, they, I think people got a bit tired of Hussey's six tunes. <laughs> he had six songs on yeah. it. Let's take a little uh, flavour of that from the documentary. The night Shackleton died, as I came off watch, passing his cabin, he called out to me, he said, Huss, I can't sleep. Play me some of the old tunes, will you? They always help me to sleep. So I played him a lullaby. I thought that was very, very moving. Yes. It was. It was lovely. And when you hear the banjo playing that lovely Brahms mm. lullaby, you think, yeah, mm. what, what, what? that's possibly the last thing your mm. grandfather, Ernest Shackleton, possibly, heard. Possibly, um, Let's talk a bit about his extraordinary career, if you don't mind, Alexandra. The endurance is the expedition most people uh, will recall. When you talk in, in your lectures and to people about endurance, what do you find people are most struck by? I think they're struck by the fact he brought everybody from the Weddell Sea side of the party, because there were two parties, the Weddell Sea party and the Ross Sea, home alive. Yeah. When um, it became apparent that the ship, after living for months on the ice, that they were ne- the ship was never going to take them home, my grandfather wrote, a man must set himself to a new mark directly the old one goes. And his new mark was to bring every member of the expedition home alive, which he did. That marked him out as somebody who was not so much reckless, uh, rather he was somebody who had leadership qualities that remain kind of unparalleled. He's still, in the modern era, seen as somebody that you should aspire to be like as a business leader. Uh, Absolutely. His first expedition, Nimrod, that was the name of the ship, Mm -hmm. he and his companions got within 97 miles of South Pole. They would have been the first. But he knew that though they could have got there, they'd be very unlikely to have been strong enough to get back to the ship. So he took a decision which is regarded as one of the great decisions of polar history, one I'm very proud of. He took a decision to turn back, turned his back on possible glory for the sake of life. We're all defined by our priorities. It's quite clear that his priority was his men. 
Remarkable, because he also, speaking of his men, his wife, Emily, mm. your grandmother. Yes. Uh, didn't he Didn't he say to her, I thought you'd rather have... Uh, a live donkey than a dead lion. A live donkey rather than a dead lion. After each expedition, he told her he wouldn't go again. But I think she realised, final expedition, she said, I, she wrote, I realise you cannot cage an eagle in a barnyard. Because he was a restless eagle. Mm. And this, he was white south. He was happiest in his white south. He loved his family, but his white south is where he felt most at home. And, of course, in that era, it was so much more dangerous, not, not only because of the clothing and the food, which by all sounds pretty inadequate, but because there were no communications whatsoever. But he did say once, my grandfather, to one of his little sisters, you cannot think what it is like to tread where no one has trodden before. I think that that quote sums yeah. up yes. his passion, his raison d'etre in some ways, because he simply wanted to yes. walk on virgin territory. And terra incognita, they probably call it, or yeah. incognita. Yeah. You'd mentioned the Nimrod there. I want to share with our listeners the sound of your grandfather speaking because mm. I think that really brings him into the yes. room with us. So let's have a listen to Ernest Shackleton talking about this experience. We reached a point within 97 geographical miles of the South Pole. The only thing that stopped us from reaching the actual point was the lack of 50 pounds of food. That's the voice of the man himself and... It is, but one of my sons explained to me that uh, it, it probably didn't, wasn't quite like that. You know, it's a long time ago, well over 100 years, and yeah. his voice was maybe not... He doesn't sound remotely Irish, does he? And at school he was called Mick and Paddy. Yeah, that's often the way for, yeah. for Irish yeah. people who uh, even... Uh, in the modern age, who would have an education here and be born here, but when they go to the UK, they're considered very other, yes. very, very Irish. Indeed, yes. Let me ask you a little bit about the endurance now, because we talked at, at some length on this programme a few weeks ago when they found the ship at the bottom of the sea. Yes. How did you react to that news? Astonishment, really, because we've all seen, it's most, of us, most of us have seen the, the footage of the ships crashing to bits under, and going under the ice. But the Weddell, and she's, everyone knew she was Titanic depth, 3,000 metres, far too deep for human beings. And uh, I thought, a lot of people thought she would just be a pile of spars, but the little wood-eating creepy, because the ship was wood, doesn't live there. And the ship looked so wonderful and beautiful and shiny because apparently a useful jellyfish lives there. A jellyfish likes, eat, likes eating algae, and so it kept the ship clean. Isn't that remarkable? But I never thought there'd be so much left of her. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so intact. Yeah. You know she belongs to me, the ship. I'd like you to, to tell us about that. Well, well Grandfather insured the, the, the ship, and so when it crashed, it diverted the insurance companies. And the, it was discussed with the insurance companies, and they handed over their interest to myself and my first cousin. She is also protected under the Antarctic Treaty as a site of special historic value. So you are the co-owner with your cousin yes. of the endurance, the yes. shipwreck. And I did make it clear to people who might or might not be looking that I've got absolutely no problem people looking or photographing, but I'm not going to allow anyone to rummage. Explain that to me. Well, not no touching, in fact. She should be left just as she was. Looking, yes. Touching, no. But uh, would you be upset if people went in to look for uh, artefacts? They can't, legally. Both my my myself and the Antarctic Treaty. In fact, the expedition uh, acknowledged what I said about no rummaging. My return almost said, no, we're not going to touch, we're going to look. And is part of you not curious to know, like you want, you might want to see 
plates or a pair of cufflinks or something connected to I your grandfather. I never wanted to see plates and cufflinks. No, you know what I mean. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I know you. There could be more important things. But yeah. but no, you feel it just leaves. Even if it. I did, I still think it's right she's left as, as she is. In That's... fact, several people said they'd rather prefer never to be discovered, sort of inviolate, you know. This is intriguing, Alexander, because you clearly feel that this is... Uh, more than just um, a shipwreck, yes. if you like. Tell, tell, you, you, well, the most important thing about people who know nothing about the story, unlike you who know a lot, is that no, no one. She's not a war grave. No one's dead in her. Yes, and there wouldn't be an awful lot of things left in her anyway. But no, I think she's. I like to think of her as she. Um, such a wonderful shock to see her like that. But we know quite a lot about the interior. There are a lot of lot of photographs of the interior of Indiora. Yeah. Yes, you sound um, protective, and as yes. you would be, you're his, you're Sharon Shackles and granddaughter, for goodness sake. But you do sound quite protective of yes. of the ship, as almost like a, a keeper of the story. Yes, I, I've never regarded myself as a keeper of the flame or anything or like that, because it sounds very arrogant. But flame doesn't need to be kept. I mean, the interest in Shackleton just building and building and building the last few years. And if, for instance, a country I've never visited. A town I barely heard of puts in an exhibition I know nothing about invites me over. Well, I haven't generated that. It comes to me. Yeah. I, I'm going to take you up on being the keeper of the story. I think as somebody who loves history, as you do, mm. um, we need people like you, family representatives of stories like this, to make sure people don't go to places they shouldn't go out of some sort of uh, greed or uh, uh, un- unnecessary trip. Well, I, as I said, uh, as we know, I didn't know him. But uh, speaking about him, I've now spoken in 16 countries. Wow. Yes. I, I learn more and more. And I haven't found I don't think he was perfect. I think he was a very great man. Some people, if they're related to somebody well-known, think behave as they're a saint. He wasn't a saint. He was a very great man and a very great leader. I'm very proud of things that like, he wrote poetry. The yeah. only Antarctic explorer who wrote poetry. But he was also an incredibly practical man who could do any job on an expedition, however menial. A hundred years ago, that was very unusual. He, he, all, all, everyone shared the jobs, officers and men equally. Yes. And you might think that his practical qualities would be sort of... Um, Men sort of affected by his romantic qualities. But I think, thinking about it, putting they made a stronger whole. The, the restlessness. I'd like to talk about that yes. for a second. And the, um, I'm trying to be as delicate as possible, the patience your grandmother probably had to show on occasion because the point would be that most explorers are not good at, at staying in one place for too long. By definition, you could say, yes. Yeah, by definition. And Yes, but I think she knew him very well. Obviously, she hoped he wouldn't go exploring again, but but he did. I mean, you have you can't... Apparently, he found domesticity not really his thing, you know. Yes. But he tried all sorts of things. He, tried, he even um, stood for Parliament once, and he said, I got all the laughs, but my opponent got all the votes, you know. <laughs> I don't think it would have suited him to be an MP, but yeah. uh, he, he wrote, he wrote, as they wrote poetry, he wrote... A couple of very, very good. He wrote uh, the story of the Nimrod expedition, Heart of the Antarctic, and and South, which was endurance. He was very busy. He loved he loved words. I was very heartened by the fact that his uh, cabin had bookshelves in it, yes. uh, laden down with books, and that he encouraged the crew to read as well. Uh, so I loved that he brought the words with him on 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 the tour. Absolutely, and as I say, as I said earlier, it was unprecedented that. Um, any, any, anyone on the expedition would do any job. And when they were living in tents on the ice, 
he, he personally decided who would be in which tent. He didn't put the officers in one mm. set and the men in the others would be normal. He balanced the personalities because he knew their personalities. Mm. He knew them. And when, and when they were living for four months on the ice, there was harmony because he balanced them. And that was, in a way, even more striking than it might sound when you first hear it, because there was a huge educational gap in that era between the officers and the men. Some of the men were actually superstitious. One wouldn't originally eat penguins because he said Peng everyone knows penguins contain the souls of dead sailors, you know. Right, so he had to contend with all of this. Yes. Um, but he was what we would call, I'm not sure that expression was around at his time, a very emotionally intelligent man. Clearly. Yes, but he took it for granted. Yes, that's... Uh, and when they were living on the ice, above all, he inculcated in his, his men the knowledge. Not only he expect them to be loyal to him, but he would be loyal to them and he expect them to be loyal to each other and their expedition as a whole. He's buried in South Georgia. Yes. You've been there? Several times. What's it like there? Oh, incredibly beautiful island, wonderful. The tradition is for people to go to his grave and drink a libation of whiskey and pour it onto the grave. And did you and partake? Yes. And he dies facing south, you know. That, yeah. You don't usually the south in the graveyard, yeah. It's incredibly beautiful. It's, my, my, my grandmother showed how well she knew him because he was going to come back to England. But South Georgia, the scene of his greatest triumphs, the James Kerr boat journey, of course, and the trek over the mountains, it's right that he lies there. Your grandmother, was. she was left with a bit of debt. Three, three children. And a, and yes. a, few, a few bob to pay off yes. and all the rest of it. Uh, how but did she get on in life after? She, man she, was, she was a guide commissioner. She managed... Yes, yeah. and she eventually had some money from her family, from her family's her father's estate. But, but, and people had different. I mean, separation, all that. It was more usual in those days. People okay. took that for granted. But one, one of the things that must have been very alarming about being married to a prolo explorer in those days, in fact, you might never hear from him again and never know what happened because, of course, no communications. And can I ask you about your own background, yes. Alexandra? What did you? What have you been doing in your in your life? And did, I'm just curious: Did you follow history? Did you follow writing? Did you? What? Well, I, I read history at Trinity College Dublin. Ah, there you go. Yes, Ireland's always meant a lot to me. In fact, I think I've got more cousins over here than I have in England. <laughs> and yes. did you do anything with the, your history apart? I from did so the National Book League and Ministry of Defence, that sort of thing. And then I got married to a GP in the era when you had to be at home to answer the phone, you know, <laughs> sort of thing, and. Um, Yes, eventually I came to live to London where I am now. And this whole thing just goes on, the Shackleton story. It yes. really gains momentum. A few years ago, they were, I was delighted it was going to be a Shackleton stamp, but there were six. It just goes on. The Royal Geographical Society just put a magnificent Shackleton exhibition. I'm going to have to insist you go and see it. You know, in South Kensington. I would love to go and there. And just beside it, in the, high in the wall, is a magnificent statue of Shackleton. And it's only been open since middle of February. Over 8,000 people have seen it. Well, I might nearly ask if I could call you up and, yes, and absolutely. You, you might join me on that. Absolutely. We, you've got to the 4th of May. But if you run out of time, I've just opened a sister exhibition in Cornwall. Oh, okay. well, I could double down and do this both. Isn't, yeah, you could. I'd love that. You're in Dublin because you're going to see a special screening of Shackleton's Cabin, which is a delightful documentary. You're going to love it. I'm sure I'm going to love it. I'm very impressed by the people involved. Delighted to hear that. The documentary airs on Monday, May the 2nd at 6.30 on RT1. It is a treat for people and and I'll tell you about that uh, closer to the time as well. Ale Alexandra Shackleton, what a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for your time. Pleasure to meet you. All right. The text number is always 51551.